Thank you, Pastor Jason. Musicians, look at, uh, if you would, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We're going through the Gospel of John, verse by verse. We're in chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 18. And uh, congratulations to all of our graduates. We're proud of you. This is somewhat of a graduation message, this upper room discourse, because the apostles had gone through three years of intensive training, and now Jesus is somewhat graduating them in a way. And this is, uh, of course, part of that uh, message that we'll look at today. Remember, it's happening the night before the cross. And at 9 o'clock the next morning, Jesus will be nailed to a cross for our sins. And uh, this sermon takes place that evening before. Remember, Jesus is talking about the way things are going to be after the cross, the resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit in this new age, which is the church age. And they talked about a, a new relationship with each other, a new relationship with uh, the Holy Spirit, a new relationship with the Lord Jesus himself because he would no longer be there in the flesh with them, and a new relationship with the world and a new relationship to the Father. Now we're coming to that section that is a new relationship to the world. It's uh, been going on even before, but it's new in, in the sense of Christ's disciples and the miracles that Jesus has performed. Now Jesus had been talking about love and now he starts to talk about hate, contrasting the two. Look at verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. He's repeated that four times now in this sermon. Verse 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now he's going to talk about the world hating believers. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together, for the beautiful singing. Thank you for all the hard work and that went into uh, this celebration of graduation. And we pray your blessings upon each one of our graduates as they follow your will for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In his book, A Horseman Finds True Joy in Jesus, Sam Sorensen writes about a a woman named Jennifer that bought a horse from him. And uh, he took care of everything, took the horse to her and so forth. And, and uh, they stayed in contact so she could let Sam know how the horse was doing and, uh, and ask any questions she needed to know. He was, uh, you know, he was a horseman. And, uh, and so they kept in contact with each other. Sam said, it's, it's noticeable that Jennifer has everything people want. She had money and lots of it, land, freedom to live out her dreams, whatever she wanted. And yet he said the more they got to know each other, the more he felt like she was lonely and that she was unhappy and didn't have joy. Remember, he's writing this book about his own testimony, how a horseman 
found true joy in Jesus. So he notices that Jennifer seems to not have joy. And so one day when they were talking on the phone, uh, he mentioned that he was a believer in Christ. And Jennifer had some questions. And uh, he said he uh, answered her questions. And uh, then he said he shared his testimony with her. How he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And how he had found the joy that was missing in his life. He said Jennifer admitted that she was empty. And the dream of owning a horse had not fulfilled the void. That was she had hoped it would. They prayed together over the phone. And Jennifer asked Christ to come into her heart. And be her Lord and Savior. And she found what had been missing in her life, though she seemed to have everything else the world could give. Sam writes, She is the first one I have ever shared the gospel with who has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then he writes, Praise the Lord. Now you might wonder why I would give this illustration when we're talking about the world's hatred. But I think you'll see when we get further into the, uh, into the text. I want to give you a, a quick overview before we even look at the verses. If you look back at your screen for a moment. We have here the word world. What is the world? It can be used at least three ways in scripture. It can talk about the created world, the globe on which we live, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made by him. He created the world. And then, secondly, you have the world of humanity, all the people of the world, the lost, the saved, everybody. And uh, it's used this way in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world. He didn't love the globe. That's not what this is talking about. He loved the people who lived in the world. And then the third meaning is uh, a, the society, people apart from God, and opposed to God. The, uh, I've shown you this definition in the past of the world. And this is, I think, the, the most condensed that I uh, can uh, put together for you. It says, the philosophies and lifestyles of lost humanity which are opposed to God and his word. Not everything the people who are lost does is worldly. But if it's opposed to God and his word, then we have this phrase, the world that hates us. And the phrase that, uh, the, the word that John used in his epistle, if we love the world, that is the world system, then uh, we're not experiencing the love of God as we should. So there's a quick definition of the world, the world that hates us. Now... The Bible is full of passages that explain a little bit about the people of the world. Isaiah says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Well, we see that in our day, don't we? And that put darkness for light and light for darkness. And put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Um, we certainly see that in our day. But here's the thing. Isaiah was not writing... 
prophetically about a future day. He was talking about when he lived 3,000 years ago. And uh, it was that way in his day. You know, we live in a day where if you, if you believe what the Bible says about morality, that uh, uh, sex should only be in a marriage between a man and a woman, and only if they're married. If you say that in, uh, out loud like I just did, you will be accused of, uh, of hate, of hating people, calling good bad and bad good and bitter sweet and sweet bitter. It's, a, uh, it, it's quite a day in which we live. But that was going on in Isaiah's day too. Now in the New Testament it speaks about the latter days, which is the days in which we live in right now. And notice how... Uh, Peter describes, uh-oh, there we go. Peter describes, knowing this first, that there will come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Now, in the context there, what they're scoffing about or laughing about uh, is God and a creation that was created uh, by God and uh, his promises and the second coming. They're laughing and scoffing at that in these last days and that's the days again in which we live Paul elaborates on that when he says uh, uh, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful and unholy and then uh, again as it continues uh, they'll be without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that means you can't control your urges, uh, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Just a quick description of the world as a whole. Now, when Jesus says the world hates believers, he doesn't mean every single person in the world. He's speaking collectively of the world system. For in, let me give you another example. When we say the nation of Israel rejected Jesus in his day. Now that's absolutely true. As a whole they rejected Jesus. As a nation they did. But not every individual that was a Jew rejected Jesus. Everybody who got saved at the beginning were Jewish. And the church was Jewish at the beginning. And so it, that doesn't mean every single person. So not every single person is going to hate believers. But there's going to be hatred in that, uh, in that kingdom of the world. Now I, want, I, I just put together this little chart to help us think this through a little bit. The church, you got the kingdom of the church, you got the kingdom of the world, and uh, the people in the church, I'm talking about the true church, so we're talking about true believers. Not everybody that goes to church or belongs to a church is a part of the church. You have to be born into God's family to be a part of the church. Uh, and so here's some characteristics or people who are within the church and then also in the world. First of all, uh, in the church you have the uncommitted They've been saved, but they're really not serving the Lord. They're not really committed to the things of God. And so they, uh, uh, they just kind of go through the motions. You have the uncommitted. And then you have the, uh, 
Go to the next one, gentlemen. Apparently my battery's dead here or something. Go to the next word, please. You don't have it either, huh? The next phrase is people who are up and down. And, uh, uh, and in a lot of our Christian lives, we're up and down. A lot of us. We could even say all of us at times are up and down. But here I'm talking more about a person. That's what characterizes their Christian life. They're up and down. And, uh, and then the, the third one, there comes up and down. The third one is struggling forward. That, it, that is, they're making some progress. They're going forward. They're maturing some in the faith, but they're still struggling with things. And again, there's a sense in which we all struggle in our lives, but this one is characterized by struggle and also going forward. And then you have uh, learning to abide. Those are the folks who have come to realize their need of not only salvation, but need of the strength of Christ to live every day. And then lastly, you have those who are simply abiding more and more, and they are growing in that sense of learning to abide more and more. Now, in the world, you have different people too. I really put that one together just so we could make a comparison to the world because the world is what we're thinking about. In the world system, there are religious people. There are people who, um, uh, you know, refrain from evil and uh, try to do good works because of what their religious system teaches them. And many of these are really good people. But don't forget that it was the religious crowd that shouted, Crucify him! And uh, it was the religious crowd that hated him from the beginning. And it is the religious crowd today that kills most Christians around the world. Uh, and so you have religious people in the world. And then you have moral people. You have people who, you know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that we have a law written on our hearts in our conscience. There's some people who listen more to their conscience than other people. Maybe they also listen more to the teaching of their parents and so forth. But there are some people in the world that uh, are, are moral. They try to live right. They have a code in their heart or mind that uh, they want to uh, uh, do the best they can. We see examples of these types of people in, uh, in the Bible. And then there's the amoral crowd. Now, the amoral crowd is the crowd that says anything goes. Sex before marriage, sex in any way, um, uh, it, it, it really anything goes. Uh, and, and this crowd, of course, is a, a part of the world. And there's a lot of that, and, and that part of the world is increasing, it seems, in uh, in our culture. And then there's the antagonistic. Not only are they amoral, but they don't like anybody that is moral. And they don't like anybody who says they shouldn't do all the things they do. And so they're antagonistic. Uh, they're angry. They're upset. Uh, we had, uh, a week and a half ago, we had a man with us whose name was Justin Bushy. He was a missionary, and he was going to uh, people in prison in North and South Carolina. Had a wonderful ministry and a wonderful testimony. 
Justin told that when he was, uh, when he was lost, that he was antagonistic. He was amoral. He lived, he did anything he wanted. He had no restraints. He just, uh, he just sinned and sinned and kept sinning. And he had dreadlocks down to his waist, as he would tell it. And uh, all of that before he came to know the Lord. Interesting testimony. And then we have the hating. <coughs> All of these. So not everybody in the world is going to hate believers. I don't want you to get paranoid from this passage of Scripture that, you know, you're driving down the road and everybody passes you. Boy, that guy hates me. Uh, it's just not the case. You know people, you work with people who are not believers, who, who you would consider a friend. And they may be kind to you and good to you and, uh, and not hate you. But as a whole, the world hates believers. Notice the progression now in the passage that we're looking at. First of all, there's, the world hates believers. Secondly, there's persecution. And then thirdly, there is excommunication. And then fourthly, there is even death. Now we, we see, we can trace these things through uh, the book of Acts. We trace this hostility as it gets worse and worse. Uh, the, when Jesus speaks this to these apostles that are listening to him, remember there's 11 of them. Judas is already gone. The apostle John lives to die an old man. But the other 10 apostles that Jesus is speaking to in this context, they lose their life. They are put to death for their faith in Christ. And then not only the persecution is coming from the religious uh, Jewish leaders, but then, of course, that persecution spreads to the Roman world, and, and thousands upon thousands of believers were put to death in that first century. But that's still going on today. We live in a wonderful country. It's got lots of problems, but we live in a wonderful country. We should be thankful for where we live. Other places around the world... Christians are still being threatened and being put to death. Here's a quote from the Vatican spokesman to the United Nations Human Rights Council. Credible research has reached the shocking conclusion that every year an estimate of more than 100,000 Christians are killed because of some relation to their faith. <clears throat> that is an astronomical number. Now, in other writings and research, you might find that number to be as low as 10,000. Let me explain to you how there can be such a difference, 100,000 and 10,000. 100,000 includes wars that have gone on in, in the last 20 or 30 years, civil wars in Africa. And so accumulating all of that information, then they estimate that it has been about 100,000 if you include the wars. If you don't include the wars, then if you just have people who are being put to death because they have faith in Christ and they're being put to death by a neighbor or by somebody down the road or uh, part of the government because they blasphemed or something like that, then that number is more of 10,000. 
But the big thing, number, is not just the ones put to death, but the ones who are under persecution. Look at this quote. Uh, Currently, around the globe, more than 200 million Christians are threatened because of their faith. It is a recurring problem in more than half of the nations. That is 105 out of 190 in the world. There has been more Christian martyrs in the 20th and the 21st century than in the preceding 19 centuries. So it hadn't gotten better. That is going all the way back to the time of Christ here on earth in E news now. So the as a whole, the world hates believers and persecutes them and even puts them to death. That's our brothers and sisters around the world that's been put to death because they love Jesus. We should remember them and pray for their families and pray for the place where they are. Now What should our response be? Jesus said, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that, here's the word, hate you. So how how should we respond to a world that hates us? Do something good for them. Take them a meal. Mow their grass. Help them with a problem. And be good to them. That's what Jesus says. Our response shouldn't be, well, they hate us, we're going to hate them right back. But I know know believers who maybe wouldn't say it quite that bluntly, but that's just about what their attitude is. They hate the people who hate them. Jesus said, no, our lives are to be characterized by love, even loving those who hate us. We do good to them. And the rest of the verse, uh, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That should be our response. Now, that's, no, that's a long introduction before we go to the verses. I'm going to move through the verses quickly as the Lord allows. Look back at verse 18 now. If the world, if there's not, is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? It's since, since the world hates you, because you'll see in the rest of the context, It's a conclusion. The world as a whole is going to hate believers. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, that is, if you were part of that world kingdom, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I have called you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. We used to be in that, you saw those two big squares. We used to be in that big square that was the kingdom of the world. By the way, Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of this world. He's the, he's the God of that kingdom. <coughs> and so, uh, uh, it says in verse 19 that uh, therefore, the last words, therefore the world hates you because Jesus chose us out. We used to be in the kingdom of darkness. Now we're in the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. Then, uh, And then notice verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they had persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Right in the midst of all this, what we would take as negative talk, there's a little hope though. Look at it there. And if they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. 
So some of the world is going to move from that world column over into the church column by trusting Christ as their Savior. And uh, so keep sharing the gospel, keep loving the world, uh, Jesus is saying. But all these things will they do because do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. Charles Wesley said, this is the root and source of all hatred in the world. People don't know the Father. How true that is. And then in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they would not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now we know Jesus is saying if he hadn't come, people would have been living a perfect sinless life. That's certainly not the case. We know from the rest of the scripture all of us are sinners. Everybody has sinned and therefore everybody needs forgiveness. But he's emphasizing again the things he has said and the things he has done. He has worked miracles and taught people in that day when he was here in the flesh uh, so that they had no excuse and so their sin became obvious where it wasn't obvious prior because they could hide it under a cloak. The real key to this passage, or, or to this one verse, is uh, notice the last sentence there, last part of the sentence, but, not, but now they have no cloak for their sin. A cloak was something you wore over everything else. and You could pull it up over your head if it was raining or, or cold and... And uh, it would hide everything under it. Jesus is saying they can't hide their sin any longer under a cloak. Under a cloak of ignorance and say, oh, well, we didn't know. But they did know because Jesus was in the flesh and walked among them. The people of that day. Now, the people of our day have no excuse as well. The gospel being preached and shared. And the law that's written in the hearts of mankind that should make them seek the living God. And so, uh, they have no cloak now because he came. He that hateth me, verse 23, hateth my father also. Remember, Jesus and the Father are one. You love one, you love the other. You hate one, you hate the other. But there's a lot of people today who claim to love the God of heaven and yet uh, blaspheme the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my Father. So now their sin is evident to them. They have, they have rejected Christ and the Father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled which was written in the law. They hated me without a cause. That's from uh, uh, Psalm 35. And they hated Jesus without a cause. Think about the illogical mindset of hating Jesus. He was good and compassionate, loved every single person. The person who hated him, Jesus loved that person more than anybody else in the world or the universe. And yet this person returned that love with hate. It's very illogical. 
and it's illogical still today. But the Old Testament prophesied this would come to pass. But, notice the little word, but. But when the Comforter is come. Now we know who the Comforter is. We've already looked at that. And we've already looked at this verse somewhat. But I want you to see it now in the context. But when the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, has come on the day of Pentecost. The word Comforter can be translated Helper. And he's going to help you face these difficulties. He's going to help you face the persecution from the world. Not only that, he's going to help you bear testimony in the midst of the conflict and suffering. Notice, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Then he uses the same word, and ye, that ye, and you also shall bear witness. Now the word witness and the word testify are the same word in the Greek. So they could be translated witness, testify, share your testimony, any of those things. Uh, but they're the same word here. So what Jesus is saying is in the midst of all of this antagonistic uh, mindset from the world, I don't, I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to go live in a monastery somewhere and remove yourself from the world. What I want you to do is testify to the world. And the Holy Spirit will be there to help you do so. You speak to the ears of men and women and I'll speak to the hearts. The Holy Spirit will testify and we testify. So we're working together with the Holy Spirit. Just like Sam who led that lady to the Lord, Jennifer, over the telephone. That was the only person he'd ever led to the Lord. We hear stories of people who lead a lot of people to the Lord. That's wonderful. But what if all of us led at least one person to the Lord? What a difference that would make. So be ready. Be ready to share your testimony. Tell what Christ has done for you. And just trust the Holy Spirit to use it. Witnessing is not like a salesman trying to make a sale. It's not like you're trying to make somebody do something they don't want to do. It's sharing the good news. And you can, you can share your testimony, what the Lord's done for you with people on the phone like Sam or online or in person, whatever way we can. And then he says to them, they're going to be witnesses because they've been with me from the beginning. That is, the apostles gave the apostolic witness because they had been with him through all of this. And now uh, we're to go into all the world, all of us, the, those who have come behind them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now we're going down uh, just a few verses here. Uh, These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended, that you shall not f- fail. Think of, if they didn't know this was going to happen to them... And they went out and started a public ministry and they got beat up and put in jail and imprisoned and being put to death. You'd be thinking, I'm doing something wrong here, you know. But he's saying, no, this is going to happen. So that when it does happen, you won't be offended or you won't, uh, you won't fall. Verse 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. That's the excommunication. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. All of the apostles, all of those ten, were put to death by unbelievers. 
And as we said earlier, it's still going on today. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you shall remember that I, the word I is emphatic in this sentence. It means I, even I. Remember, I told you this. Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh. Remember, I told you uh, of them. He told them and us the way it's going to be. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. He didn't tell them from the beginning the hostility they would have to face. But uh, because he was there protecting them. But now he's going away back to the Father. And he's sharing this information with them. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you ask me whether goest thou. Now they had asked him before, but I think the thought is here. They're so occupied with their own persecution that's coming. And I'm not criticizing them. If I was sitting there listening to Jesus and he said all of this is going to happen, I'd be a little down in the dumps. I don't know about you. But uh, they were down in the dumps. They were sad because of what he had told them, even to the point they couldn't hear anything else that he was going to him that sent him. They didn't even ask about that. They were still thinking about that persecution and hatred and even being put to death. Then the, the last verse we'll look at today. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. They were sad. But in verse 7, he's going to give them the antidote for that. He's going to say, it's better for me to go away. And we'll pick that up next week. I want to close telling you a little more about Justin Bushy. I told you that he was amoral, according to our chart up there, and that he was antagonistic. He had dreadlocks down to his waist, and he didn't want anything to do with God or Christianity, didn't believe any of it. And uh, uh, his mother-in-law got invited to church by somebody. I think he said it was the uh, woman who did her hair. Just a believer out there, not a pastor, not an evangelist. Just a believer sharing her testimony. So she invited the mother-in-law to church. Well, then the mother-in-law invited her daughter, which was Justin's wife. And the daughter wanted to go, and she asked her husband, and he really didn't want to go at all. He, all he wanted to do is he, he would tell it himself. All he wanted to do on a Sunday was drink all day and watch races. And uh, uh, he was into drugs, he was into alcohol, and uh, lived an immoral life. But he finally said he would go, and he went. He went one time, and he thought, well, good. I went, and now she won't bother me anymore. But she kept bothering him about going back a second time. He went back a second time, and then he went back a third time. And the third time he went back, he got saved. And so did his wife. And now they're in ministry together. And it all started with that hairdresser who invited somebody to church. Think about that. The world may hate us as a whole. Not all of them, but the world as a whole hates us. That doesn't mean we should go stick our head in a hole somewhere and hide. The Holy Spirit will help us testify, and He will testify 
to them as well. Let's get busy sharing the good news in a world that needs Christ. We're going to uh, view the video of this section. It may have happened something like this. If the world hates you, just remember that it has hated me first. If you belong to the world, then the world would love you as its own. But I chose you from this world, and you do not belong to it. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. Slaves are not greater than their master. If people persecuted me, they will persecute you too. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours too. But they will do all this to you because you are mine. For they do not know the one who sent me. They would not have been guilty of sin if I had not come and spoken to them. As it is, they no longer have any excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father also. They would not have been guilty of sin if I had not done among them the things that no one else ever did. As it is, they have seen what I did. And they hate both me and my father. This, however, was bound to happen, so that what is written in their law may come true. They hated me for no reason at all. The helper will come. The spirit who reveals the truth about God and who comes from the Father. I will send him to you from the Father and he will speak about me. And you too will speak about me. Because you have been with me from the very beginning. I have told you this. So that you will not give up your faith. You will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time will come when those who kill you. Will think that by doing this they are serving God. People will do these things to you because they have not known either the Father or me. But I have told you this so that when the time comes for them to do these things, you will remember what I told you. I did not tell you these things at the beginning, for I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me where I am going. And now that I have told you, your hearts are full of sadness. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for your warning that the world is going to hate us. But help us to keep sharing the good news, sharing our testimony. May we not see that hatred as a something to discourage us, but may, it, may we see it as a way to respond like you told us to, to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us and share the gospel. Help us to be good witnesses, every one of us. The darker the night, the brighter the light. Help us to be lights in this dark time in which we live. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Pastor Jason.